This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Pretty amazing. Today I'm going to talk about the subject of sanctification. And I, and I want to welcome everybody that's online. And I hope you get your Bibles. And I hope you look at the Scriptures today. And I hope all of you that are here brought a real Bible. Because sometimes you see it on the screen, but another time you look inside of your Bible and you can underline, you can say, ooh, God's speaking to me. And we have one verse in particular today that I, that I believe will speak to your heart. God wants to speak to you through His Word. You know, many Christians don't understand how God speaks to them. In fact, I'm shocked at how many Christians will take the word of a prophet over the word of God. God says, I've given you a much sure word of prophecy. It's called the Bible. And you know, God will confirm his direction to you through his word. Then the next way he confirms it is through those you walk with. Those who are close to you. Those who are your spiritual authority. Those who have some kind of a a relationship with you. You know, I, I have people come to me that that I thought were senior Christians, that were really new God. And they come to me, and, and out of the blue, they just make these incredible decisions. God spoke to me. Well, did, did you know God speaking to you isn't enough? You may have had too much pizza. And think it's God speaking to you. God, God never allows it. He says, let everything be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Everything is established. You know, God never makes haste. If you find yourself jumping from one thing to the next, that's probably not God. God says he builds little bit by little bit, line upon line, precept upon precept. You know, I, I always find people that leave churches. Very funny. Because they leave because God told them to. But usually it's because they're having a problem in the church or, or they have some other desire that they want that they're not getting fulfilled inside the church. And, and, and you know, God brought you into a family of believers not because we're perfect. Although I think you're pretty good. You're pretty close. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you now. You're, you're pretty close. Not because you're perfect. He didn't bring us because we're perfect. He brought us here to sharpen us. How many of you know that this is the, this is the weirdest place on earth, church? Did you know none of you would ever get together anywhere else except in church? Think about that. I might bump into you, but I would never want to be friends. But in church, it's like, hey, I can choose my friends, but I can't choose my family. And family's always tougher because we got to get our rough edges rubbed off. And that's where our friendships and our relationships and things like cell groups and working together and learning how to yield and learning how to prefer one another, those, those are terrible things. But those are the things that make you like Christ. So that's what the church is about. So those of you that aren't coming to church because of fear or because whatever your reason is, it's time for you to get back into church. It's time for you to get back into a cell group. Amen. Give them a good hand. And for those of you that are in church and you've not gotten back into the habit of going to a cell group or maybe, well, any habit. You know, you know how habits are formed. You know, I, I was listening to someone on, the, on, on, on YouTube the other day. And he, he gave a very important point. He said, if you're going to go back to the gym, he says, start going back to the gym. He says, even if you just do one minute of exercise. He says, it's not how much you do, it's getting into the habit of going there. Once you start going there, you cannot increase anything until you have the habit of being someplace. See, some of you want to read the whole Bible reading program. You haven't even read one verse. So you sit down and you think, I can't do this. I can't do this. You can't read the whole Bible reading program. You grow to that. 
But you know what? You start every day and you read something every day and you show up every day. You do that every day. Now, you can increase what you do, but you can't increase a habit you don't have. Whether it's the gym, whether it's cell group, you just start showing up. Anything in life, 90% of it is show up. Well, just tap your neighbor. Say, I think his preaching's already better than your amening. Greet somebody, take a seat, and we'll get, let's get into the Word this morning. Let's give a good hand to the choir and the band. They did a good job for us today. Thank you, Pastor Bonnie. Thank you, Timba. Thanks, all of you guys. Wonderful today. Open your Bibles with me, and I'd like everybody that has a Bible to open it. And I would encourage you that when you come to church, bring a real Bible. Not an electronic Bible, a real Bible. And then, do me a favor, just turn those things off. You know, I'm, I'm always shocked at how distracted people get. They're sitting in church trying to stay focused on the Word of God, and they can't even give God 30 minutes to hear Him because they're texting. That text can wait for 30 minutes, okay? Amen. I got one person that said amen. The rest of you... All right, just keep texting. I know you're going to do it anyway. Anyway, so today's, the title of today's message is called Sanctification. I'm carrying on from the last couple of weeks. Sanctification, and the subtitle is Honorable Vessels. Honorable Vessels. And, and, and we take our passage of Scripture this morning from 2 Timothy, the second chapter, verses 14 through 26. And uh, just read with me. And there's a couple of places I'd like you to just underline in your Bible, because I, I think they'll speak to you. Of these things, put them in remembrance. Now, Paul's talking to Timothy, a young man who's pastoring a church, and he's saying, hey, Timothy, he says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman, that needs not be ashamed, brightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more and more ungodliness. And their word will eat as does a cancer or a gangrene, of whom is Hymenus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and in so doing they overthrow the faith of some. Well, I'll tell you what, some of the arguments that I hear today in the church are, you know, people will fight to the bitter end over something you have nothing, you know nothing about. I mean, I have people fighting and, and dividing over when the rapture or if it's going to happen or not. Guys, you don't know. Oh, but you're fully persuaded in your opinion. But the Bible leaves it unclear for us for a reason. And I know you think it's clear, but it's not. Uh, that's why I've adopted the true philosophy of the rapture. It's called being a pan-millennialist. It means everything's going to pan out in the end. <laughs> There's arguments on both sides. And I don't mind debate, and I don't mind uh, having strong debate. But when it causes division, the Bible says, be careful about what you argue about. Here, these guys were saying the resurrection has already passed, and in so doing, they overthrew the faith of others. And there was a reason they thought the resurrection had passed, the resurrection of the dead. And, 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 but the, the fact of the matter is they were mistaken. But they were so bent that they divided the body of Christ. N never let your arguments divide the body of Christ. 
The Bible says, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. There's a seal about the foundation of God. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some unto honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, love or charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. That verse always scares the heck out of me, is that, you know, if you get caught up in arguing and we don't try to redeem people, you know, we, we set people up to be taken captive by the devil at the devil's will. How, how many Christians do you know that, and he's speaking to the church, he's talking about Christians. How many Christians do you know that in their life they got hurt in church or they got hurt by a parent or they got hurt by life or, they, or something happened or they argued over a point or they had a, a fractious relationship and, and, and out of it, it caused them to become embittered or unforgiving or resentful or hateful or it led them into a place where they allowed their flesh to take over. They began to use drugs or alcohol to, to soothe. Uh, they they self-medicated. What, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we have all kinds of terminology today in the parlance of pop psychology. But whatever it is, it, it caused them to be put in a place where they can be snared, captivated, taken captive by the devil and the devil takes them captive whenever he wants to. I, I watch many Christians who, through struggling through, with themselves, uh, once something pricks or begins to peel on the scab or the wound that is there, whether it be truth or whether it be somebody that is trying to cause them suffering or pain or, or just an argument, something takes over their life and they're not able to resist it and, and, and it's, it, it's of a demonic nature. They know it, we can see it, but something flares inside of them and it's not self-control, it's not the fruit of the Spirit, it's something else. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you know that person? Just point to them, whoever they are. Just point to them, whoever they are. Just know that whoever you're pointing at, your three fingers pointing back at you, okay? It's probably us, okay? Uh, I look in the mirror and I know who that guy is. I see him every morning, amen? But... As Christians, as believers, we are called to build, the Bible says, on a firm foundation that the scripture says stands sure. Now we know what that foundation is. That foundation is one and only one thing. It's the, the word of God, who is Jesus. Jesus is the word. He was the word made flesh, but he left us the Bible. He left us the word of God to build on. And he says that this word is sealed with the seal of God. Later on, we're exhorted to contend for the kingdom of God, and we're exhorted to contend for his glory. But see, as believers, you and I are to depart from sin, we're to pursue holiness, and we're to take part in doing so with the saints. 
We don't do this alone. See, there's a lot of Christians that say, well, I have my own private Jesus, my own private religion, and I have my own private way of doing things. Well, that's not Christianity. I don't know what that is. It's some kind of religion that you founded yourself, that you are the purveyor of it. It's your God, the way you see God. But that's not Almighty God. Almighty God doesn't let us have a private interpretation. You see, so if you're privately interpreting your faith and your religion, it's probably not God. God is very, very corporate and, and, and very much in dealing with our personality and, 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 and contending for the faith, giving an answer to every man. We do it together. It's very important you understand that. Paul reassures Timothy. Now you have to understand, Timothy's a young man, and he says, I'm, I'm reaffirming something to you. This foundation that you're building on stands. It stands unshaken, and God's promises are sure promises. You can build on this thing. It's not going to move. And he says, but this, then Paul says, but this foundation has a seal. And every seal has an inscription. Now, think of a coin. If I were to put a coin up here, every coin has an inscription. One on each side, as a matter of fact. Both sides of the coin, when they're intact, if they, the, 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 there, there's, there's an inscription on each side. And when the inscription on each side of the coin is intact, it means that it can be legal tender. Legal tender. It, it, and so it, it has value. It has usefulness. So Paul says upon this seal, there are two inscriptions. The inscriptions of the seal of the foundation of God. He says the first one is, uh, in the case of this verse, the one side of the coin says, the Lord knows those who are his, those who are his own, and he'll not forget them. That's one seal. Turn the coin over. On the other side, it shows, it says, uh, those who are his are those who depart from iniquity. So God says, the seal is this. On the one side, the Lord knows those who are his. On the other side, those who are his depart from iniquity. See, the Lord knows his people, and he knows those who obey him. That's another way of saying it. I think another way of saying it is that one side of the coin gives us comfort and assurance, and the other side gives us responsibility. That's good. Thank you, Pastor Taz. Someday you'll be up here, and I'll be saying that to you. Amen? <laughs> we'll be our own little you know, support club for each other, okay? <laughs> we'll help each other, okay? Because the congregation is not helping, that's for sure. See, Paul openly states the fact that in a great house, there are all kinds of vessels, some unto honor, some more honorable, some less honorable. Some vessels are described as being of silver and of gold, and others are, and, and he says they're ready to be used for noble purposes. And he says there's others that are described as being of wood and of clay, and therefore ignoble purposes. Now, I was, I was taught that verse as a very young Christian. And the, the way I was taught was that, you know, well, you know, in God's house, some of you are just clay pots. Some of you are just, you know, well, it's just, you're just for, 
you know, God will use you, but you know, you're just kind of going to be for ignoble purposes, you know. And then, then there's others of you, you're gold and you're silver, and God's going to use you for noble purposes. But that's not what the scripture says. See, the Bible says that if we purge ourselves, if we cleanse ourselves, that we can be these noble vessels, and if we refuse to purge ourselves, we're not. So it has nothing to do with the vessel, it has to do with the cleansing. And that's the message today is this idea of sanctifying ourselves, cleansing ourselves, okay? So uh, there, there are certain characteristics of useful or honorable vessels. And, and Paul delineates two of these around the theme saying, those who belong to the Lord should strive for cleanliness, to be cleansed, to be sanctified. And so if we're going to be useful to God, we're going to have to, number one, have a clean character, a clean character. Ah, it came up, clean character, there you go. Even the screen says it, clean character. Second Timothy 2, verse 15, listen to what it says. Do your best, the 15th verse, to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of God. See, Timothy was leading a growing church in Ephesus, and Paul is charging him that he has to be careful that his character is beyond reproach. And the purpose of the knowledge biblically, and we have to learn this in the church here as well, is not just to have knowledge, not to have information, but for it to build character on the inside of us. You see, we don't read the Bible so I can tell you all and quote a bunch of Bible scriptures and tell you how smart I am. No, I read the Bible so that it can build something on the inside of me. And so it was extremely important that the people saw that Timothy was living a life that pleased God and brought honor to the name of God. Many of us are probably not in such a high-profile situation in the church. And so we kind of excuse ourselves. We say, well, you know, I don't, have to, I'm not, I don't have to live up to that standard. But that's not necessarily true. We're not exempted from the need for a clean character. Amen. In fact, it is every bit as important wherever we are. See, God has allowed you and I to represent him as his ambassadors in the various spheres of authority that he's placed us in. One of the things that scares me about people in church is that they are different people. And the Bible says that when you are a different person, you're what's called a double-minded or a double-souled person. So think about your own situation. Are you, are, are you one person at the club, another person at the bar, another person at work, another person with your family, another person with your wife, another person with your church members, another person in a cell group? How many different personalities do you have? Boy, we all struggle with this. I can tell you that. I, I, I struggle sometimes. But I tr I'm really trying to be the same person in the pulpit that you see me in the parking lot, that you see me at, you know, so when I'm driving. I'm still not quite there yet. <laughs> the same person with my wife and my children. The same person with my friends. I want to be that same person. But you know what? Here's how I catch myself. I catch myself when... Those things are different. The Bible says a double-minded man or a double-souled man is unstable in all of his ways and should expect to receive nothing from God. So, so God's trying to build character, and, and, and you and I have to be open enough and say, wait a minute, 
and I have some dichotomy in me, and, and that, that, that's that dichotomy that God wants to change. And that's, that's the indicator that tells you, hey, your character's not clean. Did you know that you're his ambassador at work? You're his ambassador at the club. You're his ambassador at a party. Your ambassadorship doesn't change. We are not our own. We've been purchased and we've been bought with a price. So clean character is a necessity no matter what our station in life. Character has to do with our heart. Character is who you are and what you are when no one is watching. Each of us should strive to live a life that is approved of God. John Wesley said it this way, and he was talking about, and I think it's one of the most convicting analysis on what it means to be a servant. He said, do all you can, by all means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. Isn't that a beautiful quote? I wish I would have made that up. John Wesley said that. The second thing we have to look at is clean speech. Clean speech. So clean character is one thing, but clean speech is another. 2 Timothy 2 verse 16, the next verse says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Well, I'll tell you what. The Bible speaks of a man who can control his tongue as being able to control a city, to take a city. A man who can control his, son, his tongue is a man of true religion. Vain babblings. How many of you have ever caught yourself just saying something and afterwards you say, oh man, I wish I'd never said that. Dang, oh. Well, that's a good sign. That means God's dealing with your character. That means God's dealing with your, your speech. He's, he's cleaning you up. Paul warns Timothy against quarreling about words. He says, it's no value. Don't do that. It just ruins the listeners. He says, if you're arguing and fighting, he says, you're just ruining each other. He says, we should avoid godless chatter because... Those who indulge in godless chatter will become more and more ungodly. Paul warns that this kind of quarreling about words leads to all kinds of erroneous teaching and will spread like, and he says, it's like a gangrene. He says, it's like a cancer. I don't know if you've ever seen a gangrene. I've seen many gangrenes in my life. I've seen many people that got gangrene. I've seen many people who, uh, you know, through... Uh, not taking care of their health, you know, through having diabetic problems. You know, it doesn't take much for them to, you know, get a cut or a, a wound on a hand or a limb or a finger or a, or a foot or something. And then the gangrene sets in because they don't have enough blood circulation. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and before long, amputations start taking place. That's what Paul's saying. He says it's like, it's like a gangrene. So ask yourself this question. Is my speech clean? Is my speech clean? Is it good? And is my conversation sound? Is my conversation necessary? Is what I'm saying necessary? See, we're warned about the misuse of our tongue. James chapter 1 and verse 26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue... But deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is in vain. And the Bible says if you can't control your tongue, you're just deceiving yourself. 
Just tap your neighbor and say, you know, I wish the people that needed this message were in church today. (laughs) So we need to keep our speech clean. Number three, we need to understand that we must understand what salvation is. There has to be a clear salvation. The Bible says this, the Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord knoweth them that are his. You know, where there's a constant struggle in our character and our speech, I think if you're constantly struggling with your character, if you're constantly struggling with your speech, it's time that we re-examine ourselves and see if we really are in the faith. We have to ask ourselves two questions. Am I saved? And am I sure that I'm saved? See, to be saved means that we have trusted Christ as our Savior. We've actually received the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation that he bought for us with his blood on the cross of Calvary. It means that we have claimed Christ and his promise for ourselves. We do that first by admitting our need for forgiveness and then turning from our sins With God's help. The Bible says that all have sinned. Now, how much is all? All have sinned. So just look at each other and say, that means you. But then look at yourself and say, but that also means me. Okay, it means me, it means you, it means every one of us. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So once we understand that, Next, we must believe that Christ died for us, that he rose from the grave, and we must call on him for forgiveness, and we must call upon him for the free gift of eternal life. Now, if we're serious, and that's the question, because many people aren't really serious, what they do is they just want fire insurance. Just because you walk to the front of a church doesn't mean that you were serious about being born again. But if you're serious, he meets you at your point of faith and he saves us from the power of sin. It's at this moment that we receive the assurance that our sins are forgiven and that we will spend eternity with him when we die. Let me tell you something. God will not condemn you for being born a sinner, but he will for dying as a sinner. So if you do not have assurance yet, you can have it right now. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through through 11 says, but what saith it? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's how you get saved. You believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ. You believe that God saw fit to have him go to the cross, to die on the cross, to pay for your sin, and That God paid the full price of your redemption 
And you say, I believe that, and you confess that I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord, and I want to repent from my sin. I don't, I, I don't want to walk in this sin any longer. I call upon the name of the Lord, and I am saved. And once we understand and know that we're truly saved, you'll know it, because there should become a compelling desire in your heart to become useful, a useful vessel for the Lord. Something begins to drive you. Something begins to move on the inside of you to, to drive you and compel you to serve God. I, I think another way of saying it is, is uh, salvation is the first step leading to sanctification, which leads to my, my fourth point, which is continuous sanctification. Continuous sanctification. So salvation, being born again, is the first step. But once you're born again, how many of you know that not everything was taken care of that day? How many of you woke up and thought, man, I thought I was a Christian, and you heard things coming out of your mouth and thought, I thought I got saved. How many of you still had some habits, some addictions, and things that you didn't get over just because you walked at all, just because you gave your life to you? But you knew something happened, but you, well, that's because in verse 21 it says, if therefore a man keeps himself clear of these latter, he himself will be used or made for honorable use. He'll be consecrated, fit for the master's use, and fully equipped for good, every good work. And, and all those phrases in there are progressive. How many of you know you just don't get there in one minute? How many of you know that you're progressing, you're cleansing yourself, you're being cleansed? If I had time this morning, and if I could, I'd, I, I, would, I would love to show you an illustration, and you can go home and do it. Take a glass of milk, and then take a hose tap, and just begin to pour water into that milk. How long do you think it takes before it gets clear? Even with a hose tap pouring in there, it takes quite a while for the, the milk to leave the cup and to cleanse the cup to where it actually is clear. So it is with your life. Yes, you're saved, and God's washing you with the water of the Word, but He's doing it beautifully. You know, the, the, the Bible says this about marriage. It says that husbands should wash their wives with the washing of the water of the word. But some of you think you're going to change your wife by hosing her down with a fire hose. But the picture of washing her by the water of the word is Jesus comes and he takes his hands and he dips it in a, in a and, and he just pours it over your head and, and gently and, and carefully and slowly and little bit by little bit does he begin to, to cleanse and to purify and help us. You know, you don't just, yeah, you're saved, but you're being saved, and, and it's a progression, and, and he's building character. He's building something in your life. Amen. amen. Tough crowd this morning, tough crowd. I got three amens there. That's, that's pretty good, though, okay? So we've been, la we've been looking over the last few weeks on the subject of sanctification, and we know that sanctification means to be set apart, and in the Scriptures, it means specifically to be set apart for God. But it also means being set apart from the world, set apart from sinful behavior. Now Jesus prayed for his disciples and for you and me in John chapter 17, and this is uh, his high priestly prayer. And in verses 14 through 20, he says he, he said to the, he's praying to his father. He says, "I've given them your word, and the world has hated them." Boy, I'll tell you, the, the world and the devil hate the word of God. They do. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Even as I'm not of the world, I pray now that thou shouldest take them, 
that I pray now, I pray not that you should take them from the world or out of the world, but that you should keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but also for those or for them also which will believe on me through their word. Jesus has a plan for all of us. He has a plan for the people you're going to speak to, the people that you live for. It's amazing. See, Jesus said that he desired his followers to be sanctified by the word of truth that the Father has given us. First Thessalonians says it this way in verses 1 through 8. It says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and we exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that, you, that as you have received of us how we ought to walk and to please God, you would be, abound more and more. Abound more and more. I love that. Abound more and more. How? In the way you should walk. For you know what commandments we have given or, the, or were given to you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. You should know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because, that's, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and we've testified. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despises not man, but God, who has also given to us his Holy Spirit. But that scripture just convicts the heck out of me. Because you know, you can be victorious in 90% of your life. But God says, don't defraud each other. Don't, don't do these things. He says, sanctify your vessel. Sanctify it. How many, how many know that's not an easy process sometimes? First Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you. The very God of peace sanctify you. Holy. Sanctify you holy. The first time Paul says, more and more. Now he says, holy. And I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's praying that we would be wholly sanctified. That means through and through. See, we were initially set apart and sanctified when we came to Christ. And that continues to grow as we grow in him. I think that the process of sanctification can be aptly compared to an iceberg. Icebergs are more than often 90% underwater. As the sun shines down on the iceberg, it exposes and melts the iceberg, moving the lower parts upward. In the same way, we are usually aware of only a small part of our own sinfulness and our own need. When you're first born again, you have that rush of I'm born again and you pop out of the ice, out of the water and you think, whew, this is amazing. And then God begins to beat down the light of his spirit, the light of his word, and he begins to deal with things. But how many of you know that we can only deal with so much at one time? God knows that. But however, is the light of God's work in our lives changes us in the areas we know about, then we become aware of new areas, new needs, 
that need God's work in our lives. There comes a time in a believer's life when we come to a point where we need to decide who we're really going to live for. Ourselves or God? God's been speaking to us and we see that he wants to do a, a work in us. And that through us, not just in us, but through us. But see, we, we need to be willing to submit everything to him. Continuous sanctification takes a major adjustment in our attitude. You see, Paul suggests that continuous sanctification is accomplished in three ways. By the things we run from, the things we run towards, and the people we run with. Let me just touch those things. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. See, we have to run from, we have to flee those things that tend to please our selfish flesh. And that list is endless. There's a, 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 there was a book that was written a long time ago. It's called In His Presence. I don't know if you've ever read it. It, it became very popular, oh, probably 40 years ago, I guess, in, in, in our modern parlance. And it was centered around a town of people and a, and a church in that town who really began to face a challenge in their community. There was so much sin and there was so much corruption and they found themselves being corrupted and, 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 and they had a revival and they determined amongst themselves, they said, we will do nothing until we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? Well, I, I know today we've commercialized that and uh, there's all kinds of things in churches, bracelets, all kinds of necklaces and things that we do and it's become a cliche slogan, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And, and, I, and I think it's a shame that it's become a, a slogan rather than a way of life. But I, I, would, I, would, I would submit to you that it's important that we still ask that question and, and, and rather than just ask it as a cliche, we really get down and deep in our heart and say, is, is, this, is this the way Christ would live? Is this the way Jesus? It's a tough question to ask ourselves. and It's even harder to live out in our daily lives. Does this act that I'm doing? Does what I'm doing glorify God? Does it please God? Does it strengthen or weaken my witness for Christ? See, we must continually run from sin and resist its attraction. Secondly, we must pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. We must pursue holiness, which means growing, growing in our faith and in our love for God and his people, growing in our love for people and, 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 and for the world, the lost in the world. That we need to grow in our relationship with each other. We must not settle to just have the peace of God, but we must learn to share that peace with God and with others. And finally, we must follow the company of those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, the Bible says. We must run with those who call on the Lord. In other words, we must choose to run with the right crowd. The Bible says that the bad company will corrupt good morals. You see, you and I are called to be witnesses of Christ to a dying world. We pray for the lost. We strive to be the friend of all. And that's okay. I mean, I interface with a lot of unsaved people, but I'm running with the saints. I'm not running with the world. I'm not out there. They're not my, they're not my friends. They're my mission. Why? Because saints are the ones who hold us accountable. Saints are the ones who strengthen our walk. Saints are the ones who help us when we fall. The saints are good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. If ever before you needed to be in a cell group, it's now. If you're not building with people, and, and find the people that you can build with. Find people that you like. Find people that you can relate to. 
But I've learned this about relationships. Often you build relationships with people you don't like and then you find out how to love them and like them anyway because you didn't know them. You're afraid. They're different. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. They're from a different part of this community. But you'll be shocked at what God begins to do in your life and in their lives when you build together. So I'm encouraging every one of you, if you're not in a cell group, it's time to come back to a cell group. It's time to get in. And, and, and not... And, and not pay lip service to it, show up. Build with each other. We also need to run from sin and run after holiness. We have to run with the saints. See, God wants to set us apart entirely for his work and his purpose. He wants us to set ourselves apart, perfecting our hearts in love for him. And in so doing, he gives us the power and the grace to respond to the Holy Spirit so that we will not sin willfully. We can say no to willful sin. There's two parts to this work of salvation, this work of sanctification, I should say. The first part is what I call outward consecration. That's our part, outward consecration. That's cleansing ourselves to be vessels unto honor. I mean, that word consecration means that we are committing everything to God. We're endeavoring to love God with our, and, and, and love each other. But first of all, we love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole strength. Jesus said that's the first and the greatest of all the commandments. Then we decide to dedicate our lives by placing our lives on the altar and saying, God, can you use me? I'll sacrifice my life. I'll sacrifice my will. I'll sacrifice my desires that your will and your desires be done. So in practical terms, that means that we're deciding to live our life to the glory of God in every aspect. We will do our job for his glory. We will relate to our families for his glory. We will be able to worship him for his glory. We'll do everything possible to enhance our relationship with him. We're consecrating ourselves to him, to his glory. That's our part. Then there's God's part. That's inward sanctification. When you and I consecrate ourselves to God entirely, the Holy Spirit fills you completely. And he begins to set you apart and he empowers you to live the life that we've committed ourselves to living. Understand it's impossible for this to be done on our own. It's impossible for you to do this on your own. We need the Holy Spirit to give us the motivation, the ability to live for Him. The Holy Spirit is who cleanses us. He makes us the useful vessel, fit, ready to be used for noble purposes. He gives us the power to walk away from temptation and to run to Him. So if we're we're finding ourselves failing or falling or failing to overcome in an area, persisting in sin or just running around in defeat. Maybe that we need to let the Holy Spirit do his wonderful work in our lives. We must let him have his way with us. Boy, that's hard sometimes. Our flesh so desires things. Believe me, his ways are ultimately better than ours. One time I I heard about a pastor, a pastor, uh, unlike today, he finished his message early. <laughs> that pastor was not me, by the way. And he, he wanted to check on his congregation, their understanding of his message. And so he, he asked, can anyone tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin? And there was a short pause. And then from the back of the room, a little boy put up his hand. He says, you have to sin. 
Well, I, I, I suspect we don't have a problem fulfilling that prerequisite. But Jesus reveals another prerequisite for God to forgive us. And that's our willingness to forgive others. We have to ask for and allow the Holy Spirit's sancti sanctifying power in our lives and in our hearts. I mean, we need to start today. Let me encourage yourself to separate yourself. Ask God to help you become a vessel for noble purposes. Ask, you, ask God to help you by his Holy Spirit to separate you for his glory. Let me close with this little story. In 1818, this is history, one out of six children who had died from something were dying. One out of six, uh, one out, one out of six women who had children died of something called childbirth fever. There was a doctor, a doctor's daily routine back then started in the dissecting room where he performed autopsies. And from there he made his rounds to examine expectant mothers. No one ever thought to wash his hands, at least not until a doctor named Ignaz Semmelwis, a Jewish man, had read in the book of Leviticus about ritual cleansing, about cleansing. And he began to practice strict hand washing he was the first doctor to associate the lack of hand washing with the huge fatality rate. Dr. Simowis only lost one in 50 children, yet his colleagues laughed at him. Once he said, childbirth fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed into a wound. I have shown it, I've shown how it can be prevented. I have proven all that I've said. But while we talk, 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 women and children, are dying. I'm not asking for anything world-shaking, only that you wash your hands. Yet virtually no one will believe, no one believed him. Jesus isn't asking you and I to do anything earth-shaking. John writes, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He only asks us to confess our sins, to regularly wash our souls before God. You see, it's essential. The failure to confess our sins will result in spiritual infection that will hinder our, our ability and our spiritual journey. See, your part isn't to make you noble. That's God's part. Allow him to make you a useful vessel fit for noble purposes. Let him cleanse you and let him perfect your heart in love for him and to empower you for his service. Now let me speak to someone here today. Some of us that were once clean, useful vessels, set aside, set aside for noble purposes. But now, somehow we've allowed ourselves to become vessels of ignoble purpose. We may have allowed sin to pollute us and to dirty us so that we feel unworthy to be used noble purposes. Well, let me assure you that forgiveness and cleansing is available today for all of us, for me, for you, for anybody who wants it. The Bible says, and I'm going to read it one more time, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, let me tell you something. I love that verse. My job is to confess my sin. I've got to say, I want to be that cleansing vessel. And in so doing, I flee sin by saying, this is what it is. I call it out. I put it out in the open. I confess my sin. And he says, if I will do that, if I'm faithful, if he says, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. But more importantly, he says, he'll purify you. He'll sanctify you. He'll cleanse you and me from all unrighteousness. Well, that's, that's a pretty amazing promise. And that's why Christianity is the most powerful religion in the world. It's not a religion, by the way. It's a powerful relationship in the world. And this church had better not be your redemption. Because I'll tell you what, if you think the church is going to save you, you've made a mistake. It's Jesus and a relationship with him that's everything. Amen. Amen? This is just where we teach you and preach about Jesus. And I promise you something about this church. If you stay here long enough, you'll get hurt. I promise that. I, I can promise that. I, if you stay here long enough, you'll get offended. In fact, you might get offended every Sunday. And if you're not offended, come up after the service and I'll offend you personally. See, it's not about getting offended. It's not about, that's not the issue. The issue is, how do we deal with those offenses? How do we overcome them? John, Dr. John Gottman says about marriage, he says, 9% of marriage is happy. The other 91% is resolving conflict, figuring out how to resolve conflict. Some of you get into marriage thinking it was just gonna be, yeah. So you came to church thinking, and you forgot. No, no, it's 91% of relationships is learning how to resolve issues, resolve conflict. And you mature when you learn how to do this right. That's called sanctification. Those of you watching on television, those of you watching on, online, there's a number on the screen. I say this every week. Most of you don't pick up the number. Most of you don't think you need help. Some of you talk yourself out of it, even as I'm talking to you. Some of you are already ready to click off. Don't. Pick up the phone. Call somebody. Say, hey, listen, how do I find a cell group? How do I, how do I get to church? Hey, I, I'm one of those guys. I, I, I don't know if God can even forgive me anymore. He can. Confess your sin. You need people to help you. You're not going to make it on your own. We can't do this on our own. So make the effort. There's somebody on the other end of that line that will talk to you. If they can't help you, boy, I'll tell you what, they'll get you to a pastor, they'll get you to a professional counselor. Don't take your life. Hey, it looks bad today, but let me tell you something. Darkness endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God will take care of you. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you didn't pray a prayer, just with all your heart, pray out to him and say, God, will you forgive me? Will you be my Savior, be my Lord? You say it with all your heart, God will meet you right where you are. Then find a good Bible-believing church. Find a good celebration church. We'll help you. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.